Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's the creator of the Anthony Sabatino Show, creator of the ASPF Solutions, and entrepreneur. It's Anthony Sabatino. How are you doing today, Anthony? I'm doing amazing. I'm so excited to get into it with you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. We're excited to hear all about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, sure. So I'm from Long Island, New York. Um, That was where I was born. Uh, That's where I currently am now. And so to basically start off the story with me. So um, I started off very early on understanding that I actually wanted to work into law. That's actually how I got started off. And I think a lot of that stemmed from different family dynamics that kind of started at a very young age. You know, I was kind of groomed, you could call it, to go into that route, right? And I started to realize once I actually started to put my own footing there, that it was not what I wanted. I, to be very honest, felt very miserable going down that path. I got as far as taking the LSAT, almost gone to law school, and just couldn't do it anymore. So that's when I finally realized how to, you know, really indulge myself and learning about my self-awareness, my skills, what I was great at, what I could maybe build a life around, you know? Um, and at that point I started basically teaching myself, learning from different mentors, joining networking groups. Um, and I developed a pretty decent set of skills in terms of learning how to buy and sell different products. And we can, I'm sure we can get into the whole situation there. I ended up going into e-commerce a little bit, still have a huge Amazon store that does very well now. Um, and then ended up having the business ASPF solutions now, which is a consulting company. Um, but that's basically how I got started and we can get into some detail, I'm sure. Why do you feel that you were groomed to go into the law route? Yeah, so a little background there. So my uncle um, and a few of my family members, um, they have a law firm here on Long Island. Um, My uncle was sponsored by a a current law firm. So he kind of owns it in a way, but not necessarily. Um, But he operates everything. So, you know, my father worked there, still does. Um, as a senior position too. So it was kind of just a thing early on from childhood that I was the firstborn son. Um, You know, I had some smarts to me to some extent that I guess they indicated early on and it kind of just, you know, went from there. Were you ever vocal at that point saying this isn't me or you wanted to at least try and kind of go down that path to see, can I figure this out? Or I know this isn't the right route. Yeah, I, I never was vocal about it because I never actually had a problem with it, to be honest. So I didn't have a problem with it until very up until the point where things started to get very real, right? Like once I started had to actually study for the LSAT, once I had to actually find law schools to apply to, once my bachelor's degree was coming to an end and all these things became very real, that was when I realized that it was no longer what I wanted. Um, because if you think about it up until that point, a lot of it was just ideology. You know, a lot of it was just, oh, lawyers make a lot of money. You know, you do this and all those things that aren't very practical um, became my North Star, which obviously wasn't valid. Right. So I wasn't vocal about it because I didn't necessarily have a problem with it until it got very real. Did you find any other passions growing up or what were those passions that you had? Yeah. Um, you know, outside of like the normal thing, like sports and music and things like that. But if you're talking more of like a, you know, career path, I was always very drawn to business. I can even give you a funny example. When I first got into uh, college, I started going to get my associate's degree at a community college and then transferred into a four-year school to get my bachelor's. And in my associate's degree, you have to pick a major and it's general, you know, something crazy. But I remember someone had recommended to me, oh, maybe accounting would be a great major to go into just to learn like numbers, business, because you're going to eventually go into law. So it might be a good background. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Right. 
And then I did that for a semester. And immediately from that point going forward, I realized I was way more, I don't want to use the word holistic, but I was way more interested in the theory and the principles and how business administration and management was working as opposed to doing the cold, hard numbers, you know? So um, I was very drawn to business as something that I was drawn to outside of law. But yeah, that's what I would say. See, if someone told me to get into accounting, I'd be like, hell no. Like, I'm the more the creative guy, kind of like the marketing business side, kind of like what you mentioned with business. But when it comes to the numbers, I'm like, there's more that I can offer. Did you feel when you were told you got to go this lawyer route? And we kind of talked about being vocal and how you just wanted to, you didn't find it until you actually had to get into the gray of it. Were you kind of getting excited, like, oh, I can really make a business out of this if I did become a lawyer? Because a lot of times some people get their own law firm. Sometimes they don't do that, but they joined a firm. Did you kind of have that kind of excitement because that business side could happen if you did end up finishing that? Not necessarily. So you're right. People do do that. And that probably would have been my ambition if I were to have gotten past the law school experience. but up until that point, it was way more focused on, I don't like this. So -hmm. the idea of building something on top of a foundation that did not make me happy and quite the opposite, it, it didn't feel right to even go down that thought process. Right. I didn't even want to fathom the idea of, Oh, maybe I could do this because that was just building on way too much of unhappiness for me. And to think of that of myself in 10, 20, 30 years from now, it didn't seem like the right call (laughs) to do that. Um, so I started to almost just reverse, you know, put the car in reverse out of that one and start putting it in drive in a better direction. We'll talk about some of the mentors that you had growing are uh, in your business side, but did you have any mentors or someone that inspired you at a young age? Um, you know, my dad, for sure. My uncle, for sure. Um, you know, male role models for me, my dad and my uncle, for sure. Um, But it was never in a career sense, you know, because in the beginning, again, just to reiterate, in the beginning, that was kind of my world, you know, was to go into that field. And I was, I hate using the word groomed, because it sounds awful. But it was just that was the environment, you know. And, and so outside of that, I didn't have many other role models, because number one, I was young, you know, growing up and, and seeing something so clearly that I thought I saw clearly, which was that it almost made me want to feel like I wanted to put horse blinders on and not seek out others. Right. Cause I was so laser yep. focused, um, which ended up benefiting me now and something that does fulfill me, but that focus was big for me. And so I really kind of psych- cycloned in on those two role models until I started getting to more business stuff on my own. Did you feel that with this path that you were going down, friends, other family members were seeing that kind of focus also, or kind of, did you kind of branch out and feel, and I only use this as an example, when sometimes with athletes, they kind of are so focused on that sport that they don't feel that they have another identity. Did you be able to find another identity in yourself? Yeah, hundred percent. I wasn't so, I wasn't obsessed. And, and that was the, the key difference. And that became expanded as I grew further into my dislike of it, because once I realized how detached I was from it and how non-obsessed I was, it only became further and further stretched apart 
at that point, you know, so I was never, I never struggled, like, where I didn't really have other, other hobbies or other things that I enjoyed. Um, like I said, I was very into sports, I was very into music, I still am. But it was, that never became my life. And I think that was a very good thing that didn't happen, because it wasn't really right for me in, in the end. Anyway, Talk about that passion for music. What were you playing? What got you inspired? Was there a style or something like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't talk about it too much in my content, but for, and for anybody who knows um, this artist, you'll you'll know. But for, literally since the maybe start of middle of high school, um, I became immediately obsessed with the music of Machine Gun Kelly. I don't know if you know who okay. he is, um, but I'm talking like every day since then till today. It's just for whatever reason that hit me and stuck. So that was kind of what got me. And obviously before then I was very into, you know, rock and roll, normal bands no nothing crazy but as soon as that moment hit that became like my one style um and still kind of is so that would be music wise it's kind of what I'm into was there something that kind of connected you with Machine Gun Kelly like is there a song that kind of was like wow he this is something that I like I want to keep listening to more and more or is there a lyric I mean there's sometimes that people connect with something to that individual that they kind of enjoy listening to yeah, it's funny. At the time, I don't think there was anything. I think it was just, I like the beat. I think at the time it was just a simple, I was maybe at the right time at the right place. I was looking for another artist to get into and he just happened to be there on the radio. Not that he was on the radio, but like a Spotify playlist or something. Um, I don't think there was anything specific. I think now it's more, he's a very, if you know anything about him, he's very out of the, outside the box in terms of his music genres, like what he's, what he wants to play. He used to rap a ton. Now he's into pop punk and rock and roll. And like that idea of never wanting to be in, in a box and never limiting his own creation. I think that speaks to me a lot now. Um, but back then, I don't think anything was really out of the ordinary. I like that you mentioned not staying in a box because I think those kind of musicians, artists, they kind of are, okay, I'm only a country star. And I think Taylor Swift is one of those that's kind of branched out to different genres. And Machine Gun Kelly is definitely one of those where he's so known for rapping, but his style can be in so many different ways and that he inspires musicians to kind of think about what other areas could you go into that's still you, but you're still continuing having and enjoying that. 100%. And I think that speaks to me now in the business that I run, mainly because to your point, you know, you're, you obviously said you're very big into, you know, marketing and creating, you know, being creative. I'm, I'm that times a billion now. I wasn't back then, but it definitely shaped something in me somewhere along the line. Um, But now what that really speaks to me in the sense of is where I create content for my brand and my company's brand, I'm extremely innovative, extremely creative. Everything is different and outside the box. Um, and I think through that provides the biggest punchline, right? And I think that's what's so important is when you get outside the box, you realize that it packs more of a punch than you ever thought the normal, you know, I don't know how to really say it. I was going to say like the opposite of against the grain, like the normal way to do things doesn't really have the quite same potency as doing something that's outside the box. When you were playing sports, did it teach you something about yourself that you didn't know anything about? It's a good question. I don't know. <clears throat> um, I played baseball for the longest time um, since a kid and I stopped right after high school ended. So I didn't play in college, but um, I think, 
I think teamwork was big. I think all the classics, right? I'm trying to think if there's anything out of the ordinary that it taught me. I don't think anything outside of the normal things that camaraderie and teamwork and team building, all those things that sports instill in, in children and people who grow up playing sports. I think all those same things happen with me. I don't think anything out of the ordinary with sports happen there. Um, but to not, to no extent do I diminish right? That value of being able to have camaraderie, have accountability through a team. I think those things are extremely important and definitely play a role in business. No, I think that's a good point. Cause for me, when I was playing baseball, you kind of learn how to work as a team. And I think that's so huge, especially in the business world. And I think you kind of utilize what you learn at a young age and you think, okay, those skills definitely help in a different area, not in sports, but teamwork. I mean, if you can't work with other people it's going to be a lot harder and sports are definitely one of those if you can't get along with the people on the field how are you going to play well so I think teamwork and you mentioned it's works so well nowadays because team you're on a team you're working with other people you got to be able to utilize those 100% and so like one of the things too that one of my companies does is we do a lot of strategy and consulting for delegation strategy which speaks a lot to that so what we'll do is we'll work with companies um, and, you know, a lot of times when they have a staff of, you know, mainly between five and 15 and then above that is where things get interesting. But if you're in that five to 15 range, that's where things get more difficult in terms of even being able to develop a strategy to delegate. And what I've noticed certainly in the experience that I've had is being able to, you know, apply some sports examples of being able to work within a team do, does definitely help. Um, and it definitely translates to business moves such as delegating staff and things like that. If someone that's listening to this interview, that's kind of going down that route with wanting to be a lawyer, what would you want them to know before making that big decision to go down that route? Um, That you really love it for for the law, because I I didn't. And even in the beginning, when I thought I did, I didn't. What I was doing was I was I took the... um, completely, I over-indexed completely on the financial return of thinking that all lawyers make millions, which isn't the case. But the real reality, and I learned this later, it's important to know, and it actually really helped me reaffirm my decision, was that the really good lawyers make a lot of money. And if you don't have the passion to fulfill your career, you're not going to be one of those good lawyers, you're going to be the average lawyer. And the average lawyer makes 70 grand a year with 200000 or $250,000 in college debt. So that was what I was over-indexing on. I was like, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to have the drive to even get something to that good. So I'm never going to make enough money. So I was all in my own head, um, which wasn't good to begin with. But again, it reaffirmed it later on, knowing that I didn't have the passion to fulfill the drive that I would have needed to become someone that would have even validated my decision in the first place, which was not valid enough anyway, but it wouldn't have even validated the financial return. So I would just say, if you're if you're looking for that field specifically, just do it for the love of the game and know that your monetary you know, result will come by how invested you are. I, I believe I've never, and again, take my, take it for a grain of salt. Cause I never actually made it there, but <laughs> that's what, that's what I believe in my heart. You talked about how your family influenced into that. Did media ever play a role in this decision? Like um, a lot of times we see on TV and it's also TV movies where they make being a lawyer is, Oh, you really make an impact. But we know that it's not like that right off the bat. Those people have been working for so long. Did that ever play an effect with your decisions? Media. If you, if I define that as a show. Yeah. So it was never like news or, or social media. There was one show called suits. Uh, if okay. you know of that show that, so 
in the beginning, I really, I love business law. I love business litigation, things like that was my, that was my jam, right? So that's what basically Suits is. So I would watch that show and I was obsessed with that show. And I kept thinking to myself, wow, like this could be what my life looks like. Again, not realizing all these things that live underneath that validation. But um, yeah, that influenced me a ton for sure, that show. Man, when you brought up that, I'm like, oh, I, I remember the commercials. I remember seeing that show and it just brings so much flashback to I mean, I couldn't tell you what happened in the show, but I've seen yeah. it. But it's definitely those kind of shows just change people's mind when it comes. Now let's talk about not the lawyer side, but your business side. When you're looking at becoming an entrepreneur and th- those kind of things, what's the biggest thing that you kind of wish you knew before making that big jump? Uh, I, I'm going to answer this really interestingly. I don't think there's a right answer to that. I actually think not knowing anything was the best okay. thing. And I'll tell you why, because I know what you're getting at. Like there should be some lesson learned there. And I'll, I'll touch on a lesson that I definitely learned. But I think one of the best things you can do when you're first starting out as you're taking the leap is to have such an open mind to what you're doing. So you don't put yourself in boxes that you don't necessarily know anything about yet. You know, mm-hmm. if anything, I didn't do this, but I can almost guarantee that my biggest downfall would have been that I was surefire and convinced that I knew better than everything else and all the environments that I've yet to put myself in, I knew better than all of those things. So I think one of the best things that I learned was to be open-minded, especially when you're first starting out, of how you evolve as a human being, as an owner, when you get put in these different environments that you've yet to go in yet because you're new, right? Don't get in your own head. Don't have such a big ego where you think, that you know better than what's to come or you can predict the future. One thing I can say for sure is I had a very clear ideology of what I wanted to happen, but even today, it still proves to be a natural involvement. And I follow the flow of that. And that actually is way better than trying to fixate. Right. So to answer it more appropriately in terms of, you know, what would be a good lesson I wish I would have had um, going into that, I would say to not be so um, fast, moving with my ambitions. So what I mean by that is I I would want to have a lot more patience. Like if you're somebody right now who's starting out, I would just ingrain it and tattoo it on your brain to have an aggressive amount of patience. Because the idea that whatever you want to happen fast is going to be your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And once it happens for you, you get dealt that humility, right? Because you wanted it so fast, you're cutting corners, you're not doing the right things. So you get handed this plate of humility, which usually can be very detrimental, especially as a new business. So take it slow, do it the right way. That would be the best thing I would say. And definitely I'm, I wasn't going like everyone has their story and what they learn best. And I think it's so interesting that you're saying that you wish you didn't know, or you would be going out there, not knowing anything that just shows that you're willing to adapt and learn at no matter what situations you're put in, it helps you grow as an individual and grow in that business world. So it's very real that you gave that answer because a lot of people are like, oh, I wish college taught me this. I learned all this, but it's like, I kind of see myself in what you said is I can adapt in any situation, even if I don't know anything or I know too much of that topic. So it's kind of thank you for being real and saying that answer because a lot of people out there that are listening, they might say, I think I would be the same way if I was in that situation. Well, remember, so when you put blame on anything externally, like I wish I would have learned it in college, I wish somebody would have told yep. me this sooner, whatever it is, doesn't matter. I'm not putting any blame on it, any one of those or demonizing either one. But 
when you do that, you immediately put yourself in a position of fear and defense. Because now that you're in it, you can't adapt because you're too busy blaming what didn't get you there and wasn't didn't make you prepared. I don't think there's any value in, in demonizing what didn't prepare you because that preparation would have never known the future anyway. There was no alternative to begin with. You know, so you're in it in the present time because the only thing that there really is is the present time. Like that's all there is, you know. So to be able to adapt and pivot is is everything. You founded ASPF Solutions. What's the big mission for that company? Uh, really to provide as much access as humanly possible to people with, um, so just so everybody knows what we do is we provide a consulting strategy for branding as well as delegation strategy. So we're kind of in like that white zone of, um, this white space of building a brand. It really, really matters, obviously, and how to do that is important. And then once you get to a point where your brand builds, you know, normally what happens is you end up building a little bit bigger of a company, maybe more sales come in indirectly. At that point, you maybe want to start considering delegating. And obviously those things can be mutually exclusive, but sometimes they do come together nicely. So um, basically the main mission of my company is to provide as much access to every person that I touch. And that does not necessarily mean just clients. It includes, you know, people on Instagram, people on LinkedIn, people on YouTube, do my podcast, do podcasts like this that I get to be guests on. Um, I want to be able to provide as much access as humanly possible. Why do you feel that you stand out in that area to maybe competitors that are out there? Because I feel like I bring a different level of access that people aren't willing to do because I actually enjoy giving it. So a lot of people, when they hear the word giving access, they think, oh my God, I have to put my face on everything. I have to give my time to everybody. I don't want to do that, which is fine. Again, not demonizing. I don't think, and I'm going to probably bring that up a couple more times as we continue this conversation, because one of the things I've very, very wisely learned early on is to demonize anything other than your own is, again, only your vulnerability. It's completely Mm -hmm. just different. It's not better or worse. And so, however, you know, I, I really believe that the access that I give through my brand is something that is completely innovative to the industry that I think I've, and again, I've done my research, of course, and the entire process of being different and innovative is many times not even predicated on competitors, which is an interesting way to look at that. Because you think most of the time when in your company, you look at your competitors and you say, oh, I either want to do what they're doing, but better or do something completely different. I take a different approach. I don't really feel like that's innovative. I feel like it's playing defense in some way. What I really wanted to do is just innovate as fast as humanly possible and the best way as humanly possible for the people that follow me and what I really believe in and know works. And I, I'll watch them from afar. You know, um, I think that's what's really important. When you think of innovation, I think that's the way to do it. Has there ever been a time where you kind of haven't seen the results or anything and you kind of wanted to quit? Or it, do you tell yourself that you got to keep on going? You have to keep staying positive because this is your company and you don't want to see it fail. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, I think every entrepreneur feels that including myself. I think what's important is every time that, and again, cool, cool thing to know here is that feeling is not a one-time feeling. A lot of people think if they're going through it right now, oh, I just can't wait till I get over this hill and then it's over. It just, it's an ebbs and flows, you know? Uh, And that's not to say financially, that might just mean in different ways. You know, you're going to feel like things are going south in different areas. It might not just be financial, but um, yeah, I've certainly gone through that. And to me, that is where patience comes into play because when you start overjudging that part and that timeline of yourself, you start realizing, well, I'm living with the expectation of it having to happen too fast. Who says when it's supposed to happen, you know? And if you can put that into your own self-awareness and say, if this is supposed to happen when I make it happen, then there's no self-judgment. It's just, you need to be patient. 
it needs to be done the right way and it needs to be taking it needs to take longer and your expectation was a facade it was nothing so you know when i hit points in the business and which i have in the past for sure where i've said wow like kind of plateauing here wow you know it's not going the way i thought that that didn't that one particular business move didn't give me the result i thought i would you know things like that happen all the time you know and that's the beauty i think of business is because you're supposed in my opinion the embracement of that and learning how to be one with that feeling is how you build a business because it kind of eliminates the i hate this because if you hate that i don't think that's a real a good leader of the ship you know because to think that that would never happen again i i don't think it's true i think it would happen again we talked earlier about mentors who are your mentors now in the business world or for you now at your stage of your career? Yeah. Um, I I've had one, um, that was very classically labeled a mentor, you know, where like I paid and like we worked together one-on-one for weeks at a time and things like that. Um, and he helped drastically and, um, specifically in emotional intelligence work. And I really pride myself and my company and all the content that we put out, um, on that. And I really believe in that heavily when it comes down to, um, as a leader, as a, as a owner of a company, as an entrepreneur, whether you're just starting out or if you're 17 years in, I think it's still a really practical part of owning a business and growing something and scaling something. And so I had this one mentor that I worked with for a very long time, you know, maybe I think four or five months, like heavy. And then beyond that point, we kept in touch and still kind of communicated. We still worked with each other, but it wasn't as, um, you know, consistent. Um, but in that short period of time, I transformed completely because I realized all these different, different lenses that I'm giving you here today, you know, that, that was not a part of me prior to this conversation, you know, those conversations with him. And that helped me so much because it shaped perspectives that I would have never had. And those perspectives, what's creating my own realities, you know, like the lenses that I'm looking through is showing me what I'm looking at is a better way to look at it, you know? So that really helped. And then nowadays, so um, I'm really good. I'm really close with someone named David Meltzer. Um, I don't know if you know of him, but um, he coaches me and has mentored me a ton. Um, he would be probably the closest one to now it is. Um, but I think everybody can be a mentor to me in some way as well as to everybody i'm i don't want to say it like that because again i know that's not the answer you want but i i think it's important to say you know i think you can learn something from everybody and i think that's worth talking about i don't want you to feel that you're i'm looking for a specific answer no i'm just because, i'm adding it to the conversation to work. yeah because uh, with our show everyone's on a rise differently no matter what situation they're going to so you're telling your story and there's probably someone out there that's probably going through something similar or maybe they needed that information that you're saying and to get them going with those two mentors did you kind of get involved or kind of watch them before you started having that interaction with them with with david yes but it's funny i'll tell you a quick story about the first one so his name was tyson and it was funny when i first started the business like i'm talking maybe a week into having the LLC officialized, mm-hmm. I needed a website, you know, that was like one of my first things that I did. So a friend of mine, um, at the time that I, um, basically just befriended through social media on Instagram, um, we connected, we were pretty close. And he was like, maybe one of my first network acquaintances that I met and he was building out, um, something in a marketing sense, um, for his company that he was doing. And he used this marketing company that was helping him build out some landing pages, things like that. So I happened to be talking to him about that. 
And he was like, oh, I'm using this company. Like they can probably help you out with a website. I'm like, great. And again, I didn't know anybody at the time. I didn't have any connections. So I was like, great, let's do it. So I hopped on a call with them and they ended up building my website out, which I have now. We've made changes since then, of course. But um, it was funny because the owner of that company wasn't available. He was away in a different state for something going on. And this guy, Tyson, who happened to be partnered with him at the time, took the call with me. And that was kind of how I first met him. So I had no recollection of who he was prior, but it's funny how the stars aligned. Um, and so he basically signed me up for the website. He handed all the, the money, the communication, everything like that. And then over time, he started sending me, you know, different, just little voice notes now and again, you know, with different things that was on his mind in an emotional intelligence type way, different books he was reading, different theories and things like that. And I was just drawn immediately to him. And again, that was probably due to me being pretty young at the time. And I was maybe just drawn to learning and growing. And I knew I didn't know much. I knew I wanted to. So, you know, he would send me these things and I would always respond back. And I'd say, wow, that's so interesting. I'd ask him questions. And eventually we basically started working together at that point. So I didn't really know anything about him prior to that. But David, I've, I've watched a ton of his content. Um, I've been heavily involved. We've met in person a few times in New York City where I am. Um, so, yeah, that'd be what I'd say. Looking at both Tyson and David and their, their kind of mentorship with you, if there was one thing that someone came to you and wanted you to mentor them, what would you tell that person based on what you got out of your mentorships? To prioritize emotional intelligence. <laughs> um, I'm tell- it's, it's been by far beyond any you know, business move, which are as important as anything. But if I could just like a robot, right? Like if I was a robot and I was just making business decisions on my phone, I wouldn't be where I am. And if you realize as an entrepreneur that it's all just creating chemistry and you're like, when you close a sale, you're getting like a dopamine hit. Like when you yeah. finally make, you know what I mean? Like it's, un- but understanding that at a much higher level of, you know, what you're creating certain, like what things you're manifesting, what frequency are you operating at? All those things are influencing you at a business level too. And it's also influencing how people are receiving you as how you communicate, you know, and like how you communicate in business. I can't even imagine that there's something more important than that, you know? And, you know, especially as a content creator, if you're building a brand, you're putting your communication out there at scale almost every day if you're doing it right. Yep. And so that was one of the things I learned too, was once I started creating content, I learned how to speak. You know, I learned how to be pretty articulate in what I could communicate. And then I started realizing, wow, if only more people could hear this, I feel like I could really make an impact. And then things started really rolling and going. Um, but if there's one thing I would say is prioritize that because most people don't and it's too late and it's unfortunate, but it can make such such a big difference. Speaking of content creation, you host your own show. What was the drive behind creating that show? And what do you try to talk about with your guests or the things that you want on your show? Yeah, so we start, it's fairly new, actually. So we started January 1st uh, of this year. So my intention with the show was I wanted to constantly, and again, I'm always innovating, I'm always starting something new and building on top of those foundations. And again, I have a team of about 15 that are staffed on my, in my company. So we, we have the luxury of moving pretty fast when we want to do something. So the real luxury in that is when we started the podcast on January 1st, we pump out a, uh, an episode every week was I wanted to make sure that I could provide another avenue for people who know of me or will know of me for longer form content, just like we're doing now. You know, people get a sense of who you are. They get a sense of how you talk, you know, what your values are. Um, And that was the real main goal. There was no other intention to monetize or to get people as guests that were going to be like, obviously important to my audience, but not to me. It was more of a 
goal to just be achieved where I could get people that can listen to me for 45 minutes. And if they wanted to, they could get a grip on who I am at a much deeper level that maybe Instagram or LinkedIn couldn't provide. So that was the real goal and probably will continue to be the goal. And at this point, what we're doing now is just getting the best guests humanly possible with the best conversations humanly possible to provide value at the same time. When you're looking for guests, are you always trying to find someone that maybe you don't have experience in that industry that you can learn at the same time? Because you always talked about, you always are willing to learn. And I see that with me where I'm always trying to find people in other industries that I can learn even more so I can gain those skills also. Is that something you're looking for when you bring guests on? Yes and no. I'm looking at that for myself less I'm looking at that for my audience more. So for example, you know, cause here's the, here's the value of it, right? When you have a brand, I can reach out to somebody in a different field and I can make maybe a personal connection. We can network, right? Yep. To have them on my podcast is a whole different story, as you know, right? Being a host. So when you have someone on your podcast, at least for me, my main intention is to say, you have skills that I don't pursue in my own content because it maybe doesn't fit what my company does and what my brand represents. So I want to be able to provide that through a way that number one, you can get some extra exposure, but also myself can be involved in learning something new. So I think it's more of an indirect way to do what you just said, but I do think it's important. What is the big goal that you're wanting for your show? Like, do you have, do you set goals or the path that it takes? If it's organic, natural, that's awesome because you get to see the growth in each stage. It's definitely more of an organic strategy. Um, again, we all have goals and numbers we want to hit. I don't think they're as important. Yeah. My, main goal, I, my main goal is to follow what, number one, what I really enjoy talking about on a longer form conversation. And at the same time, auditing is my, are my audience members who are listening and watching, are they engaged in following me? Right. Cause I'm a big believer, at least in a podcast sense, this is different in different forms of content, but I really subscribe to the idea of in order for an audience to really believe in and be consistent and support every week, it needs to be completely authentic starting from me. And if I feel like I'm putting on a show, like I'm acting, it's not going to last long. Let's be real. And you know that, right? Like, and like you do such a great job at this. So to be, that's what I wanted to do. Like when I have guests on, I just want to make sure I'm having as authentic of a conversation as possible, which starts with someone I really actually want to have a conversation with. And that can vary through industry and walk of life. But I think it's important to just be straight you. I think that will trickle down in other ways. I totally agree with that because anytime with any content that I look at, um, if it's YouTube shows, if I can feel that it's fake, it turns me off from it automatically. Like when I have these conversations with any of my guests, I'm just, it's like, take the camera off. We're just having a fun conversation and learning more because I don't know much about your story. And as we're talking, I'm learning more and more. It just gets me excited because it's like, now when I see after we are done taping, it's like everything else he comes out with or does, it's like, makes me want to learn more and more and more. So definitely being authentic. And I think people can take that concept even into their own business world or in any industry. If you're fake, people are going to kind of know right off the bat that you're not real, you're not genuine. So just being able to open up and have those conversations makes it more enjoyable than I'm sitting here for 10 minutes and what's going to happen next kind of situations. 
Well, to piggyback off of that really quickly, I have, so one of the biggest thesis that we, that we bring to the table in my company is look over social media over the past 10 years, right? It's been said and done with, we've been posting content for 10 plus years now. And the main goal up until very recently, like within the maybe last year or two has been to PR yourself, to look at the best version of yourself. Yep. Right. Think of all the classic pictures in front of Lamborghinis and private jets and yachts, and, like the classic stuff that we all know and dislike now. But years ago, that used to be the revered way to do things, you yep. know, because it wasn't as accessible. Not everybody had the opportunity to do those things so that when you saw someone do it, you're like, wow, now everybody can go get a picture and they can find a Lamborghini on the street if they go to the right place. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously not everybody has access, but you get my point. Like everybody's kind of done it now. It's said it's diluted. So now when somebody does that, we automatically have this new, again, recently new adopted immediate reaction of, Oh, I don't know. That sounds fake to me. And it turns you off. That wasn't the case a couple of years ago. Yep. And that's important to be aware of, you know? So now that's why you see people who are, you know, posting ads or even just posting content by themselves of them just like this with their phone. And it's mattering more. People are actually caring more because it's way more authentic and it's not them with this perfectly produced and Photoshopped image. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but as a consistent thing, the authentic is becoming more attractive in a massive way. Looking at your journey, do you feel that, would you have changed anything or do you feel that every step you've taken, you've learned more about yourself and you've gotten to where you are through each of those challenges? Yeah, definitely the latter. I wouldn't have changed anything. It's important to have that mindset because I don't think there's an alternative. I don't think you can ever change anything. You know, then that comes back to my point earlier where I was like, there only really ever is the present. So you can't Monday morning, mom, I can I can never say this word because it's impossible. Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, <laughs> it's like impossible to do. So when we, when we think of it like that, it's so important to adopt that as early on as possible of, listen, there's nothing to change this. None of it would have been this way without the prior. There's no alternative. I think if you can adopt that, that there's no alternative and there is just what is it, everything comes a little bit more simpler, not necessarily easier, but maybe simpler. Um, so yeah, I think everything that is in my life now is, is, has been manifested or created by some nature of me having done what I did in the past to get here. You talked about content creation, posting, things like that as a big part. Is that kind of the identity that you're wanting or do you kind of live, this is my private life, but this is my content creation side. Are they the same person in a way? So that's a great question because number one, like I answered your question earlier, I really do feel like I provide a level of access to people that is unprecedented in what I do. And that's not to say everybody, there's not, that's obviously people provide more access and things like that. But the way I feel like I do it is what's really packing a punch to the people that are following me. However, there's a very clear line that I tend not to cross in terms of my personal life when I'm posting content for business purposes, right? Um, I don't tend to, you know, post pictures of family or, or things like that. Or like if I'm going to the bar on a weekend or hanging out with a friend or whatever, you know, I don't post that. And that's by no design of saying that's bad to do. It's just for me, I, I find that I feel better and more fulfilled by posting valuable content at scale that I know makes a difference. And I know that my brand can live off that fuel and doesn't need to be all of me. And maybe that's just not necessarily what I want. And that's, that's perfectly fine. 
to do that as long as you are well aware of that line that you don't necessarily want to cross. And that's not to say that in three months from now, I might change my mind and want to post something personally, but yeah. at a macro that, that is the kind of the line I kind of keep it very business sense, but I'm very adamant about being a personal brand and a business lens. So I think if you can, you can look at it through that lens and I think it's very doable. Um, you can look at my stuff as exhibit a, I think it's very doable. Um, I just think if you can be the more self-aware you are, the better. So you know how to not cross that line. Do you ever worry that if you did cross the line and something goes off the track and it kind of dilutes what your business brand looks like, that's kind of the worry that you may have. And that's why you kind of don't do that right now. No, I don't think that's the reason. And the reason I don't think that's the reason is because that I I'm a big believer in our brands are way wider spread than we make them out to be. Meaning when you hear the classic word niche or niche, you never, most people think you have to be so narrow that it's, you, it's like a keyhole. And I don't necessarily believe in that. I don't really subscribe to that because I think, well, depending on what you want to create, if you want to create an access driven brand, which if, by the way, when I say access, I don't necessarily mean always having your face on the camera. If you look at brands like Nike, Gymshark, all these different, they're all access driven. Meaning when you go out in the street and you see somebody wearing them, or whatever it is, you feel like you're a part of it. You feel like you have access to the brand, you know? So creating that at scale is what's important. So I don't think it's because I think it'll dilute my brand. I just don't think it's what I I want my brand to be known of. No, that's understandable. And I'm just learning because we just wanted with the listeners, they want to kind of learn more about why the individual does that. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish both personally and professionally in the next couple of years? Yeah. So the end goal business-wise, at least, and I'll get personal, is um, we're going to keep building out staff, which is important to me. So a lot of what my staff is building around right now is around brand building, mm-hmm. um, whether it be editors, um, you know, people like that. So it's, that's really, and again, because I over, uh, not over in a bad way, but I really put a lot of prioritization on brand and my brand. So that's a big focus for us. So one of the things that I want to do over the next couple of years is continue doing that in new and creative ways and keep building upon what we have. And also I want to continue building out on staff consultants that I can expand my workload with. I think that's a really exciting, you know, new world to get into over the next couple of years is to have on, you know, 10, 12, 20, 50 different consultants that I can have under the umbrella of ASPF solutions that we can have an entirely new world of workload that we can help and make an impact towards companies. That would be my business ambition. Um, personally, um, I said, I've said this before in a few different podcasts. It depends on what you'd call a couple of years, but you know, maybe over the next seven to 10, I'd, I'd love to you know have a family. I'd love to build family values in that way. I'm a big family person. I think those things are very important to me um, as, as a person, but outside of that, you know, all the normal things, right? Like house, family, vacation, loved ones, things like that. All those core values still stand very strong with me, um, regardless of how, you know, fast paced and entrepreneurial one might be. I think being just self-aware of what your values speak to or is important to, new, to you. So you know what to strive for once you hit certain like thresholds that you feel you can, you know, then take in something like that, that your values are called to. The final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Honestly, the biggest one is to be 
just to be patient, but I'm going to give you a different answer too, because I don't want to just end off on the same thing I said before, but patience is so, so, so important. Again, I can't reiterate enough. The reason you're feeling all those things and you feel like it's a challenge that is halting your progress is because it's rooted in expectation that doesn't have any sturdy, you're not, it's not standing on anything sturdy. It's, it's cracked. You know, it's, if you understand that at an emotional level, and that's what I, when I, when I say emotional intelligence, that's more of what I'm meaning too. these, you know, layered depths of um, awareness of self is really important. When you understand patience is the gateway because you stop expecting and you start flowing, um, that's a humongous advantage. Um, I would also say some good pieces of advice would be to think in confined creativity. And what I mean by that is a lot of people think when they have to be creative, especially in the beginning, they think they have to do everything and all things. And most of the time in the beginning, when you don't have the resources to make those, those things happen, it seems like you're, you're spreading yourself too thin and none of it gets done. I would confine what you're doing and be extremely creative in those um, boundaries. Let me give you a really great example on that to um, personify what that looks like. Think of it like a football field, right? You know, football fields have the two boundaries on the sides and then all yep. the yardage, obviously. Well, the person with the ball, they need to get to the end zone, but there's two boundaries on those two sides, which means you need to be extremely creative. You need to juke, you need to spin, you need to hurdle, you need to jump to get to that end zone. If there were no boundaries, you could run seven miles to the left and eventually make the turn or maybe never, you know, so sometimes it never gets done. Confine your creativity and that can be done in any facet of your business, your personal life. Get creative with what you're doing. Be an artist in your life. I think not only will it fulfill you more and make you happier, but it also provides really interesting results that you never would have expected. It just kind of, that's how things kind of fall in your lap when you start getting out of that comfort zone a little bit and getting really creative in the spots that you're currently in. But I can't push it enough. Don't expect, just do your thing at a very high level, of course. Don't just let life pass you by. Um, there's a di big difference between patience and complacency. Complacency is nothing to mess around with. Patience, just understanding, give it your all every single day on a micro level, like every day, give it your all, go fast, do big, like think big, you know, do things that really matter that make a big difference in your business and your life and whatever you're doing, whatever, just do it really, really big. But understanding that if nothing happens in a year, that's no skin off your back. I think patience is important. Well, Anthony, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe at all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.